Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of Talking Jays. With me, we have a partner in crime, um, the, the soul supreme of the Kobe-dom, and she is the reigning Kobe stand of, in our podcast, Supreme. And she's brought two special guests with her. Live from L.A., weighing what God knows, whatever. Measuring five foot eleven from some office, we have Jeff and live from LA, weighing I really don't know, measuring God really two fifteen lean <laughs> two fifteen measuring let's just say six foot one. <laughs> and yeah, I get it. I'm right? six foot, but I'll take the six foot. I'll take the extra inch. Let's go, Jose. We have Pow. Crystal, Huerta, how are you guys doing today? Doing awesome. What an intro. Thank you for having <laughs> you us. You want to redo that? And not to be and not to uh to be held back in any way. She is, let's just say, five foot four. Wayne, none of your business. She is the ultimate Kobe stand in our podcast, Janine LA. Janine, uh, thank you for having us. That was great. This is what happens when we can't budget for Lawrence Tanter. I'm so sorry. Also, I claim 5'6". Five, 5'4", five, get the hell out of here. I've been 5'4 since like 8th grade. Okay, 5'6". Oh, I got a, I got a limited Lawrence Tanter. If you want to give me the, the bona fides in the chat, and I'll just read that off, but I'll give you my, I'll give you my, uh, my limited fake if you want, if you guys uh, Why don't you it. do it with yourself? Because I'm not putting my weight out there. Weighing in at 215 from Charter Oak High School, Chris Huerta. Sorry, I, I didn't have the right <clears throat> the right gravel tone in my voice, but I was trying to make it real. He's real smooth. Uh, and he's real low. Chicago from North Carolina, number 23, measuring six foot four. I don't know. Or six foot seven for God's sake. So much better know. than mine. Weighing 211 pounds, it's your shooting guard, Michael Jordan. You know, when they have, uh, what is it? The, um, the what's that song? Serious by, uh, by what is that guy's name? The Serious by, help me out here. Anyone, what is, who's Serious? Alan Parsons Project. You know, anyone know that song? No one? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah the Bulls opening saying. song? Yes, 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 I, yes. I, sorry, 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 sorry. Yes, yes. In anything. It's a really good one. It, I love LA though. Over here slaps pretty well. I, I do love me some I love LA for the opening song. Is that what they come out I, when they have like the, the, the giant like projector screen uh, cloth that comes down from the Jumbotron? I think that's what they play, right? At one point, but they have like really intense music and then there's like Laker players dunking and then it's just like. I love it. And the whole crowd's like, but we love it. You know, I get into it. Randy Newman is to hype you up some though? Come on. No, that's Randy Newman is to send you home. I believe it used to be the Pirates of the Caribbean song, right? I think that was the intro. They still use that. And yeah, the, the one that they get a lot of criticism for. And it's justified. Black Eyed Peas, I got a feeling. They do get yeah, that, that's like they're still stuck in some like what two 
2006 at, at or least something. It's better than shipping up to Boston. I hate that song with a passion. Nothing gets my heart racing more though than like every time at Staples Center when they like zoom in on the tip and then as they're zooming out, you hear like off in the background, "Are you ready?" Love it. Oh my god, it gets yep. me going. Yeah. We have a collection of people from LA to for a very special episode. It's going later this next well next week is going to be 824 which remarkably happens to be the numbers of a very special prayer to your hearts that being from the west coast kobe being bright and jeanette's been wanting to assemble you guys for the longest time to do something special for kobe bright and i wanted to participate with this with the on on this very special episode with you guys hey because first i haven't met you at all but i definitely but we always communicate through twitter and Jeff, you are like my brother's twin who somehow got separated into a different womb and likes to jab at me from time to time, which I appreciate. So, <laughs> so welcome all to our very special Kobe Bryant episode. So I believe the year is 98, right? Or is it 97 when he's dropped? 96. 96? So he was, 96. oh yes, it was with the Kevin Garnett and um and I think, no, Penny Hardaway had, was earlier though. They yeah, were so 95. They were the year before. So Kobe is um, drafted by the Hornets and Vladi Divac is traded over from your Lakers over to the Hornets. <laughs> That's why the air quality and, here in Los Angeles has been so bad. It has never recovered from the Vladi Divac uh, years. Yeah, from all the smoking heaters on the bench. <laughs> Not just the bench. <laughs> Probably with Mr. Bus also. But um, so he's so he's traded over to your team. What was it like seeing young Kobe Bryant play on the Lakers in that formative in the formative years? Because I remember one of my favorite players was Nick Van Exel, <laughs> the baby face killer on your team. And I believe, was it, um, who was the point guard in that team? Not point, I mean, shooting guard. Was it Eddie Jones, I think it was? Eddie Jones, Eddie Jones was yeah, I was a big them. Eddie Jones fan. Like the, the core, I don't think Shaq was on the team just yet. I think he was going to be joining the team. No, they came, they came well, the same they year. They just came this That yeah. same summer. So what was it like summer. seeing what would, what is now a legendary player in the formative years like what was the first thing that you remember from kobe joining your team jeanette oh just remembering how young he was that it was always a reminder that he was 17 17 when he was drafted 18 when he was there and how he was just always reflected as a child and how we you know, seeing him on Moesha with Brandy, taking Brandy to the prom and her being at the games, uh, cheering him on and how he wasn't taken seriously because of his age and how right away the whole narrative starts to be created about how he's he's young and impatient. And, you know, in basketball, there is no waiting your turn. It's like you get thrown in and it's sink or swim. And, you know, it was just like, he doesn't have the body, you know, what were they thinking? And him just already people ruling him out. 
and how he begins to fight against all that and you know cement his spot and his voice on that team so the first i mean the first couple i mean i was still pretty young at the time not i was younger but pretty young but i just remember watching him and him so it's definitely struggling at times right and not caring like well i don't want to say not caring but like just not not like any other rookie where you'd see the him push it and push it and you know i mean how many air balls do you have in that one in that one game and he just out there and he's still gonna take his shots and he's still gonna just try to keep it was weird you know like Jeanette said he was so young but you could see him like taking in data and figuring it out quickly as opposed to like getting mad that it wasn't working immediately sort of thing um and that was one of the things that kind of struck struck out to me like early in the in that that whole kobe uh, experiment when you know i mean like you said he's a kid he's a baby uh so for me i was i was pretty much a baby like you know, pretty young. I was born in 91. So 96, he's drafted. I'm still like five or four years old at that point when he's drafted. Uh, But I like my very earliest memories of basketball are, oh, sorry, one second. Um, uh, Had a Stu Got situation going on there with some phlegm. Um, My, so my very first memories are the air balls against the jazz. I remember seeing the, I I remember seeing that game specifically and then seeing the next year him in the all-star game and kind of essentially going like toe-to-toe with Michael Jordan and like he had never started at that point and I didn't really know all that at the time but like my sophomore year of high school I had bought like a little paperback book and the book itself was on like his early life and like the very first three years of his career so it was really in depth on kind of who he was as a person at a really young age. And even at a really young age, he was just a fascinating human being, the way he saw the world, the way he thought about things. Cause like the book itself had like accounts from other people about how they felt that he was kind of observing things. So it's like, you know, his dad's playing professionally in Italy and uh, he's still there at a certain point. And like, you know, from a middle school age, say sixth grade through eighth grade, what is that? Maybe like 11 through 13 years old he's playing against professional players you know from over there and like they're amazed by just how smart he is and how much he gets the game and like at the same time like you know as somebody who's in education you kind of realize that people who can speak multiple languages that you know they have they're using they're using more of their brain and they have more access to their brain and kobe speaks like what like three or four languages like he speaks spanish italian and he he had to learn that from watching the cosby show over in Italy with his sisters. That's how they learned how to speak Italian. They they had, you know, they wanted to know what they were saying on the show. They had to pick up the language. So that's kind of how it was. But that that's like what I remember. I really loved reading. Uh, I read a lot about the early Kobe, but from, from a standpoint of like formative years coming up to like the three P championships, I only really remember the all-star game and um, the air balls. It's amazing because you hit it on the head. The thing that I remember mostly about him was when he would go on like Primer Impacto and all these other Spanish shows and would just just have a conversation with them fluently. And you're like, wait a second, he speaks multiple languages? That's the one advantage that he had over multiple many of these players is that he was cross-generational. He entered the league in the waning years of Michael Jordan, right when Iverson is about to become the big, 
is, is, is deemed the next Jordan because they're looking for the next Jordan. And if I was to tell you Kobe's going to be is going to be on the same level as Michael Jordan, everyone probably would have laughed me out of the room it's just to say that. But when you start seeing people start like going straight up against Michael Jordan and digging him up, for example, like that big Iverson, the Iverson game when he crosses over Michael Jordan, and then you see Kobe like dissect videos and whatnot, and being able to come up with, with ways of being able to master his game. And the fact that he, he has an, a, a famous basketball player in his family to teach him, it's incredible. Because not many people have that kind of access and which they're able to be um, taught and, and how to be able to watch video, dissect things, spend time in the gym. Like you could tell that he had a type of work ethic, maybe not in the early years, but later on as he uh, played, that he developed this, as we all know now, as a Mamba mentality. So going on to you, Janet, what does Mamba mentality mean to you? Wow, that's a pretty deep question. And I have thought about it in preparation for this. And it's not a singular thing where it's just, it's not about just being successful and taking, doing any and all things to be successful because that uh, flat on its face sounds incredibly ruthless. And not everybody has it in them to be a ruthless person. But with mama mentality, it's having focus to achieve a task, whether it's, um, you know, to be a NBA champion, to be a parent, to, you know, pass a, you know, pass a final at school, whatever goal you set for yourself, you apply that mentality and you keep going until you get there. And then once you get there, you're not satisfied with that result and you keep going to greater challenges because that's actually, I think what is missed in mama mentality is continuing to look for challenges, not just achieving X thing and being happy that you did it. It's like, okay, what's next? Who's the next you know, giant to slay? And that was one of the things that you look at Kobe. It's like, he wasn't necessarily satisfied to be pigeonholed into one thing as just, he's just a basketball player. It's okay, if I'm gonna become an entrepreneur, I'm going to be the best one at this. And how do I do that? Well, I study great entrepreneurs, not just American, but worldwide and see what lessons they have for me. Oh, I want to get into filmmaking and writing books. Let me go work with the best animators at Disney and John Williams and all these other heavyweights to tell my stories and find my voice in this art, in this artistry. So that's what that's what I take away from. I think Jeanette hit it pretty much on the head. I mean, if you, if you if you look at like, you know, you could talk about a micro and a macro on, on certain things, right? And I think for me for a long time, it was hard for me to connect to the Mamba mentality, you know, being the best, most successful version of, of something that you, you can be. And I think what, what helped kind of temper down the aggression of the Mamba mentality and kind of send it into the kind of a new way is and what made me relate to it was his Achilles injury where he had nine months of recovery and for him that was just so overwhelming you know here's Kobe Bryant you know he's used to going balls to the wall every day and then he essentially had to break down something very 
difficult and make it simple and just get better day by day and be, you know, be better. And then it, it, the message changed from, you know, not so much, you know, it was still about being the best you you can be. And I think it was more so that as opposed to be outrageously successful. And he kind of tempered that down. It was the best you you can be. And then it's, and then at, at its simplest form, it's being better than you were the day you were before. And as long, and that's kind of where the focus comes in. If you're, and you can kind of narrow things down where, you know, he truly worked on things a day at a time to kind of achieve his ultimate goal. And it's like Jeanette said, you know, you're never satisfied. So for me, um, with my background, I used to weigh 380 pounds and I lost 170 pounds. And I was telling myself in the beginning, I'll, I'll be lucky if I lose 20. First time I weighed myself, I lost 35 pounds. Okay, boom, I'm locked in, hooked in. Okay, I'm taking this a day at a time. And then it just, the need, you know, it just kept moving, the, the bar just kept moving. Okay, well, now I've lost more weight. Now I've done this. Now, and, and like, okay, well, if I can do this in this aspect of life, you know, I've never really applied myself like that to school, the mind's a muscle. And I kind of did the same thing too. Where it's like, if I can control what I can control today, as far as, you know, what homework I have, what assignments, what readings I need to do just today, I'm going to take it day by day and not worry about the fact that I have to read, you know, three books in order to do a 10 page paper by the end of the month. Like, you know, it's like, no, I'm going to worry about reading chapter one. And that's it. You know, let me ask you a question, though, because you mentioned about losing weight. So let's apply the mentality that we are ta we're talking about. And then I'll go over to Jeff. How do you deal with hitting a plateau? Because when you're losing weight, sometimes you hit a plateau where you're, where you, that the way you are, are doing everything that you've been doing, but then for some reason, you're not yet where you, did you hit a plateau in your weight loss process? Because sometimes I, in fact, personally, I've experienced it where I get to a certain point and I've done everything that I've been doing and I just can't go lose beyond that. And I, and it, and it's, I, I get to the point where it's almost become a, a process of self-sabotage out there, where it's like, okay, I, 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 and you know, if it's not working for me this week, it'll be next week or something like that. And then it, things just halt to a grind. When you were, when you were in your studies or even in the process of losing weight, do you hit a point where you go, oh my God, nothing's working at this present moment? And if you did, how did you break through? I think you, it when you get to certain things like that, you have to try a little, you just try little things differently. So it's like, okay, I mean, you know, for me, for if we want to apply it to weight loss, it's like, okay, well, I'm eating this amount of food for my meals. Okay, well, I'm going to scale that back just a little bit. I'm going to add five minutes of walking to the end of my workout or, you know, just add something, add something little. So it's like becoming a little bit better than you were the day before the day you were before. It doesn't need to be a drastic change. And I think sometimes when you when you look for the drastic change, that's where it kind of becomes overwhelming and you can kind of, you know what, forget this, I don't want to do it. But it, I think if it's it's something where it's a little more manageable and you can kind of see, okay, well, if, how can I tweak it in a little way to where I can see if this will, you know, benefit me more over the next couple of days, next week, next two weeks. Okay, and if, it, if, it, if I do see something good, if not, okay, well, I know that doesn't work and I know I could try something else different that, that might work, but I know that doesn't work. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like you have to be able to take the positives out of a negative situation. So it's like, okay, well, you know, it's, at least I tried something and I didn't give up. You know, it, it's not it's not something where I said, forget this, I quit this. It's actually a win that you tried something and, you know, 
and with with kobe you know he he'll tell you too with failing and stuff you have to find motivation and in, in, especially when you you make a mistake or you know you just do something that doesn't go exactly right you have to make a learning you know it's a learning opportunity it's a learning moment you can and you can kind of go forward and i just think being mindful and reflective of of that is always good jeff what does mamba mentality mean to you and or or in your or even in your everyday life is there something that you that that is there that maybe there's something that hasn't been spoken of or do you agree with everything else that everyone's been saying about it yeah I, no i i do have a slightly different take i mean it's not um contradictory to what you guys said but um and and i certainly don't want to uh suggest to you know I, I certainly don't want to suggest that this is something i've actually figured out and like successfully applied to my everyday life because um i haven't but um <laughs> i i think it's what you guys are saying with a slight tweak which is the mama mentality thing for me is more so figuring out whatever the hell it is you really want to do and then applying all the stuff you guys just said. So like it, it's, it's figuring out what you're supposed to be doing in life and then just slaying. Jeff, at what, at what point in time do you realize you're witnessing something special? I, you know, I will say it's going to be something kind of like what Pau said before, which was that all-star game um, against MJ. And he's just, you're just watching this guy going, holy crap, dude, he's not afraid at all. He doesn't give a shit. He's just out there and he's going to try to figure out everything this guy is doing. And then after the game, he's going to watch it 12 times and learn it and apply it. And I mean, that was the first time. That was the first time when it's just like, oh, okay. Never, this is different. Especially when you contrast that in all-star games, any all-star game nobody ever really tries there there is very little and you know and and you know we can have that whole like well back in my day talk we were like so tough and like whatever but there is very little physicality it's you know easy lobs everybody saving their bodies for the second half for the rest of the season so then when in this where it's like uh an unspoken agreement or probably a spoken agreement that let's take it easy on this one night. We really, you know, we're just playing for pride, like whatever, you know, the numbers don't count to see him apply the same work ethic and everything as if it was game 82 or game seven of an NBA finals that stands out and that anything prior to that, um, whatever was being said it begins to change it because now you're looking at him you begin to look at him differently where you realize what that there's you know this another gear to him why why you know like why why isn't he taking it easy you know why doesn't he want to take a break like everybody else uh, you said that he's the greatest all-star performer ever i <laughs> oh, no. i'm wondering no, I'm wondering because this there's Jeanette even mentioned not many people take it seriously. The scores are like astronomical scores on both sides, and it's just to keep it even and whatever. What was it like to see your player literally said, "No, uh, 
The buck stops with me. I'm taking this shit for real. We're winning each and every All-Star game we possibly can on my back. What was it like to see to see someone take an exhibition game that serious? Because the one thing that you always hear about Kobe is, oh, everyone loves Kobe now, but Kobe was, you know, because of the mentality that he has of wanting to win, everyone looked at Kobe the same way they look at Michael Jordan. Yes, he's an ultimate winner, but at the same time, he's an asshole with his teammates. So the pro, the, the how how can I say this? When you see this player perform to the the utmost, or, or to taking his skills to the limit, and, and seeing how he is with his teammates, what does that what does that say to you about everyday life, for example? I just think that he, you know, he really desperately wanted to win, but it's like how, uh, like I, the reason why I said he's the greatest ever, Jeanette bringing up that point about him being young coming out and like, you know, you know, wanting to go at essentially, you know, these, these guys that he's looked up to, but like, you know, he, he always had the mentality of when I step on the court, I'm Kobe fucking Bryant, excuse my language. I don't know if you guys cuss on, on here, but that's kind of like it. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like, I want to be the next Kobe Bryant. I don't want to be the next Michael Jordan. I want to be me. And that, and like, Honestly, like I've been think like as we're talking about him, like comparing him to a snake is such a smart comparison because he is cold blooded and he, and he moves and he's methodical and he strikes like one. Like he's awesome that way. And when it comes to the All Star games, he just went out and he played his hardest because that's like you know some of the toughest competition he was gonna have. I remember you know LeBron having the chase down block in the finals and they made it this huge moment for him in his career. LeBron's been doing chase down blocks forever. Like that's always been a signature block of his. Like it's not like. It just happened in the 2016 finals. And I remember the all-star game, Kobe had like two two dunk opportunities and LeBron was looking to chase those down. He didn't care. It was the all-star game and he just threw them down in his face. And I think that might've been the last time he won MVP. He went all out in that. He won, I think four of them. And that one and the one that he won with Shaq were really, really fun all-star games and fun all-star game MVPs for him. But it was always about, you know, I'm going to test myself and, and, and put myself up to the challenge and the best way I know how the best way I can. And that, and that's kind of, you know, those all-star games really are kind of representative of that, but he's the greatest of all time in those fields. Cause he took those so seriously. If I might add something, um, it's also probably worth noting though, that like over the course of his career due to this attitude, there was a lot of times when I venture to guys venture to guess you guys would probably agree. There's a lot of times where I was pissed off about how he played basketball like it was there were a lot of times where i'm like this guy is making us worse and it not and it's partially because of all of this because he's like so determined to be a killer all the time there were times when kobe shot the ball too damn much and that was one of the things that he had to get figured out over i mean kind of sort of figured it out over time but I mean, it was the thing. It really was. I want to say real quick, and this isn't the, the point I raised my hand for, but he did average five and a half assists a game for his entire career. And for a shooting guard, that's that's a lot. So, but I, I want to say, like, uh, when he was getting a lot of that, a lot of the ball hog stuff, it was starting to kind of come out slowly, like, at the end of the three-peat. But a part of that was, like, he didn't feel Shaq was in shape, so he didn't deserve it. And if Shaq wanted wanted the ball he'd have to come get come to the ball get the ball and then work his way back to where he wanted to but Shaq sometimes didn't want to move he wanted to post up stay where he's at and kind of just you know stay in one spot right and that's where you kind of start seeing that narrative come about and then when you get into the teams that don't have Shaq 
you know, they get rid of Gary Payton. You get rid of Carl Malone. You had, he had Luke Walton as one of, you know, say one of the better role players on his team for a few years before the, 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 uh, they went to three, three straight finals again. And even then, Luke Walton was constantly out with a sprained ankle. He had constant ankle injuries. They had Chris Mim, who was supposed to be their center, constant ankle injuries. Kwame Brown, you know, Lamar Odom uh, coming in as your second best player there for a little bit. You had Chucky Atkins. I mean, you had Karan Butler, who was really young, but not the Karan Butler that he was in Washington quite yet. And, you know, like the, the, one, the one thing that, like, my dad would always kind of point out to me is he's like, people want to get upset with how Kobe plays and he's a ball hog this, ball hog that during those, those specific years when the team was his. And it's like, he's passing it to Smush. Smush isn't hitting anything. He's passing it to Radmanovich. He's not hitting nothing. But no, but I mean, these, these are the weapons that he had at his disposal and these guys weren't hitting nothing. And so when he's going off averaging almost 36 points a game in, in 06, uh, sorry, 05, 06, and you know, he should have won the MVP over Nash. I mean, he he literally had like almost nothing but just an array of, of you know bags of a bag of tricks and just great athleticism from hard work. Jeanette, sorry. Oh no 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 no! Uh, can we all just make an agreement? We don't say anything about Kwame Brown. If he might listen to this, I don't want him coming after us. Uh, we don't have a legal defense fund. I don't want the smoke. Of Kwame Brown, um, Jeanette, we, we're friends with Jeff. I'm more than sure Jeff will. I'm a tax Kwame. attorney. Kwame Good Brown, luck. Kwame Brown is mislabeled. He's underrated. Okay, he was a very, very great defender for a lot of years. He played over tw- over ten years in the NBA. You know, there's a lot of a lot of guys that that came out of college that did not play ten years in the NBA. Who was that guy that the Cavs drafted? Anthony Bennett was it? What wasn't that his name? He wasn't playing no ten years in the NBA. So it's like, come on. Well, I mean, that was the worst. There's a, bu- the but there's a bunch of high school history. dudes that just that, that got out of the league real quick because they, they, they couldn't handle it. And he was he he struggled and then he he was able to pull himself out of it. That's all I was gonna say. The question that you guys made me think of is did Kobe improve the players around him? Because Kobe, we know, is a great player, but did the players around him actually improve their game because of him? Or do you feel they just pretty much just wrote his coattails? Other than other than Pau Gasol, because Pau Gasol was okay. Pau's the Pau's the obvious answer is like obvious that that's the glaring example of no. But did the players around him actually improve because of Kobe? Go ahead, Pau, Chris. They don't win those two thousand nine, two thousand ten championships if they if that entire team does not in, adopt his mentality. If uh, I often watched like the, the the NBA, they put out those like hour long documentaries on like the championship teams. So all the time I watched the the one about the 09 team specifically cuz that team was just a, a different beast entirely cuz they were hungry for a championship and if you just look at the way that everybody on that team was playing from Farmar from Ariza from Vujacic Walton uh Josh Powell even going you know to the 12th man Banga like everybody on that team had his mentality and they had a singular focus to win and I honestly think he made that entire team around him better and like Ariza, just like look at looking at Ariza alone, this guy who was a mid-second round pick, kind of already on his third team. He was a throw-in when he came to the Lakers, and what he became, and you know the career that he's had, you know he has that because he adopted, you know, from watching one of his idols play and watching Kobe play and kind of learning from him. So I do think he definitely makes those players around him a lot better. I, I, I got um, I got an answer to this also. Um, so yes, I think like 
generally speaking, like most like really great players, even the ones we think of as as primarily scorers. I mean, if for no other reason, just the the gravity that they pull, they very frequently make the people around them statistically better. I also think he also, in general, Pau's right. He um, is the sort of guy that can really, if 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 everybody's on the same page with him, it's really it was really the sort of thing that everybody get get behind. But I also think specifically with him, the players that he really wanted to. The, the players that he really made better were the ones that wanted wanted to expose themselves to like the crap that Kobe would put them through to make them better. The one specifically standing out in my, my mind is Karan Butler, um, who you mentioned a minute ago. I mean, he was what I mean, I, I, he was one of the only guys that would actually ask Kobe to go shoot with him after games and work with him. And so, I mean, Kobe really responded well to the people who wanted it, I think. And like in, in his mind, who who he could tell one. Right. Uh, there's a there's stories of him in, in practices going up to these, you know, the 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 other players. And and it's a it's a test. So do you back down or do you step up? And he respected the people that stepped up to him and the ones that backed away it's like well that's kobe i'm not gonna get in his face it for his psychology he also knew i have to treat them differently but not completely write them off and this was towards the end because when he was with you know the baby lakers and stuff like that he you know when he was recovering from the achilles and when he would be there with them he was talking with these you know with the young kids and, get, and telling them, like, this is how I see things. Like, this is how you can do this. And there's also the story about how he had asked, or it was asked of Lonzo's dad of Labar, like if Kobe wanted to teach him something like, you know, getting up at three in the morning and going to his gym. And his dad's like, Lonzo doesn't need Kobe. Like Kobe needs Lonzo. And imagine having to show up to work and be like, I'm sorry my dad said that about you like you got to imagine that had to be like a very he wouldn't have taken it personally but he would have tried to under maybe impart in him why he needs to be his own man because you know Kobe had when he started off he had a hard relationship with his father and you know a difficult separation from his family when he got married to Vanessa so he's imparting the wisdom of his years not just on the court but off the court to these kids and they're being receptive where he's also you know, seeing the whole AAU culture in the NBA, where he's bringing in a Devin Booker and, you know, um, Tatum from the Celtics and, you know, um, was it James, um, James Harden, right? He's, he's like, not necessarily like camps, but he said, anybody that wants to come and learn from me, do so. And, showing up you know what showing up the games afterwards and dabbing people up that you were like he has a relationship with that guy he's cool with luca to me the strangers one was was tatum because i'm like i thought we had like a a line drawn no boston no green and then this even cool with jason tatum you're like okay he'll be the exception i guess well and speaking of that dude like if you out of everybody in the league right now tatum has the most weird little Kobe tweaks in his game. 
the weird little footwork and stuff like he's got that stuff dialed in yeah if you ever watch uh the you know if you have espn plus and you go back and you watch detail the one on, uh from tatum even his rookie year like kobe breaking down the way tatum is seeing the game and seeing angles in the game was just fascinating because he was like oh yeah i would do the same exact thing like this is why he's doing this and this is why he's taking advantage of the situation here if he's facing this way this is how he's not going to be successful if he's even a little bit this way this is how he's not going to be successful and those little things were cool but i mean it, it like it all comes from like how bad do you want it because i mean you go go through his entire career from jordan through everybody they'll all tell you he constantly asked them questions constantly from you know like a, a lot of people don't mention you know you want to talk about the post game this post game that kobe was the best post player in the nba from 2008 till the time he retired and that's because he worked with akeem elijah one for an entire summer and then once he worked with elijah one oh lebron is saying oh i, I can't beat dallas i can't beat berea in the post well kobe went to elijah one well let me do the same thing this offseason and see how i can advance my game that way and so on and so forth because it's like kobe's like what kobe started to see is what you know jordan started to see which is like you may not have the athleticism you once did but it's like how are you going to get the the you know the one up how are you going to be able to know you're going to have a for sure bucket in some way and that's why it's like you know the young kobe everybody really remembers his dunks and whatnot but if you go to the young the 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 black mamba it's always the baseline fadeaway right turn around baseline fadeaway that shot was money all the time behind the backboard all the time like he practiced that constantly you know what shots do you practice i practice the shots that they don't want me to take and that that's exactly what he did all the time and, and that's why he was so awesome and it's like andrew bynum you know you had to have kareem abdul jabbar as his personal head coach and he still didn't want to get it you know it's like the craziest thing is that none no center in the league like it's like if you want to get a max contract as a center and make hundreds of millions of dollars, talk to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, learn the sky hook and your money. Like who cares if it doesn't look good? It's like, I don't understand how a hook shot doesn't look good. That, that takes so much skill to be able to hit that, especially the way he was doing it, you know, 15 feet out. Like he was trying to teach that with Bynum too. And, you know, it just wasn't the same thing, but it's like with, but the fact that Kareem was there, if you look at article, if you look at stuff, Kobe would ask Kareem questions. Okay, well, if you're not going to take advantage of him, I'm going to take advantage of him since he's here. And then when Kareem left the team because Bynum wasn't really picking it up, Kobe was pissed at Kareem because he was like, hey, man, I kind of valued having you here. Sorry, Jeanette. No, 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 no. This is great. I love it. Uh, it just came to me. So we know that in Kobe's career, you know, he, he was celebrated 20 years, one organization. But we know that he came close to walking across the hallway and becoming clipper so i don't know if you guys have ever given i'm gonna ask jose you too so have you guys ever given any thought to what kobe would have turned out to be if he actually if that actually came true if he became a clipper would he have saved that snake ridden godforsaken garbage ass franchise oh sorry excuse me for leading the witnesses right there sorry i just have to put it out there i'm wondering what type of relationship he would have had with donald sterling to be honest with you i really would want to know what kind of relationship he would have had because if donald sterling lost his team 
around the time that the, the big three were together. I'm wondering what, what kind if if Kobe would have had a, an impact on maybe Donald Sterling losing his team even sooner than that, or if he would have maybe had an impact on the mentality of Donald Sterling from being the, the slumlord that he is into investing into the neighborhood and whatnot. Because as Kobe, Kobe was, is defiantly LA. I'm wondering if maybe he would have gotten into the coffers of Donald Sterling and have him invest back into the city to improve the life for people in LA. Um, because, you know, obviously Kobe's done a lot of humanitarian work. So I'm wondering if that would have been, if he, would have somehow that would have rubbed off on the owners of the of the of the Clippers. I, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say uh, nah. Like <laughs> Donald Sterling was gonna suck no matter what. He would have treated Kobe like he treated everybody else. I I mean I don't know that Kobe would have been able to elevate them out of being Clippers. I'm not sure anybody can do that because they're the Clippers and they suck and I hate them. Okay, that's my take. Absolutely 100% he turns that franchise around. What? He, he would have been so hungry to prove to prove like Laker Nation wrong, like you you want to let go of me, you want to hold on to Shaq, you want to do this, like like he would have 100% just been all about basketball. Like he's he's young enough, he and that would have been just the main focus. Like, yeah, there's stuff going on. I, I'm here to play basketball and, and that's it. And I just looked it up right now and I just, just to make sure. But like I haven't always totally hate I didn't always totally hate this team until the Chris Paul stuff went down and then the Blake Griffin and then Lob City. That's when I started really hating the Clippers before it was just kind of like out of sight, out of mind. And in 2006, when I when when the Lakers lost in seven games to the Suns and you know three one, you thought they were going to beat them. The Suns played the Clippers the next round, and that was like the first time I ever saw the Clippers in the playoffs. And they had a really good team: Sam Cassell, Katino Mobley, Corey Maggette, Elton Brand. They had, I think, Caveman was on that team too. They had a a, a pretty decent team. Chris so Kamen? I, yeah, Chris Caveman, the Caveman, and so I think. Uh, I don't know who that is. Uh, so sorry, Pat. We messed up your flow. Keep going. No, sorry. So I think uh, since Sam Cassell was on that 05 team, I think if he goes there with just even having Elton Brand and a, a very good solid point guard like Sam Cassell, because you had Sam actually Latrell Sprewell was also on that Clippers team that, that I forgot. I forgot to mention him. Um, and Kobe's a much better Sprewell or you know Mobley or, or even Maggette, but he has those guys there as kind of like the role players along with Elton Brand, who at that time was a really, really good basketball player. People forget Elton Brand was a bucket, okay? He was really good at that time. So I, I think he would have you know, changed some things, but it, it is interesting, some of the stuff that you're saying. Um, you know, I, I was trying to think, okay, well, what does Donald Sterling do to ruin that team and not put the pieces around Kobe? But there were good pieces already there, and that's why I think he would have done okay. And the thing is, along with having a generational talent like a Kobe Bryant, in a big market, you're going to get a lot of attention. You're going to get a lot more money. You know, you're going to, and, and you have diehard loyal fans of Kobe. 
And, you know, and at that time, like, you know, people could, yeah, exactly. People, people, like, I know people who, when, when it was rumored after 2007, when Kobe was like, we haven't made it past the first round in three years, trade me. There were people ready to go wherever he was going. Oh, he's going to go to the Bulls. They want to go to the Bulls. Oh, they don't, but they don't want to, like, he's only going there. There's Luel Dang, right? Like, so, oh my God. Um, so, uh, like, I, my dad knew, my dad had friends who were like, we're ready to go to Chicago. We're ready to even move there. We'll go there. We're going where Kobe goes. So it, you know, it's it's a whole a whole nother thing with Donald Sterling, where it's like he has this this you know minor league basketball team in the pros making that kind of money. To when you got Kobe Bryant on your team bringing in Kobe Bryant bucks, you know when Kobe, I don't I, the Lakers sold out pretty much every game Kobe ever played in. Even so during the, the bad, even during those, even during the, yeah, the, even, bad, the bad years towards mm -hmm. the end, the lean years. If he was, yeah, yeah. if he was playing, they, they wanted to see him. So it's, you know, you, you, it, money does change things, I think in that aspect. And, and that's why I think like him going there could have changed the fortunes of that entire franchise. It would have been that big. I still say that Donald Sterling was just like not a mentally fit, crazy, delusional old man. And he was going to do what he's going to do regardless. Jeff, do you remember the most famous career of Eric Piotrowski on the uh, West Side? Who? <laughs> oh, oh, for two, oh, for three. <laughs> I don't remember him either. What was his name? Number the fifteenth pick in the nineteen ninety four first round for the Clippers, who actually played with them from nineteen ninety four to two thousand three. I believe he was a shoot. It says shooting guard, small forward. No, um, and he's had his numbers retired by the Nebraska. Wait, what's what's the name? Say the name again. It's a Eric Pietkowski. I remember having his basketball card. Nope, no, no. fucking idea. <laughs> you see, you see, this is because I'm a diehard uh, Clippers fan. Not really. No, I mean, I was no, I got nothing for you. Oh, uh. I, I, I'm, I'm. Uh, shocked and appalled that you don't remember <laughs> some tall Polish-looking basketball player <laughs> that played with a, a, a ham and egger in the NBA. <laughs> but Jeanette, I'm wondering what is how uh, what do you remember from actually having seen Kobe play? You actually seen him play um, at the I don't even know what your your I was Staples Center. Home, but we just Staples Center. If you see them play at the Staples Center, what did you take away from seeing him play? And what is your signature performance for Kobe? Okay, so I only ever went to one Laker game in my whole life. And this was when I think it was 2010, Matt Barnes was on the team, Powell was on the team. So, no. Did he get on you, Matt Barnes? Uh, I He's think he was married. Tattoos, he was married at the. Look, I can make. I can make. The, no, I think he was I married at the, the time. So. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm not here to, to talk about that man in his personal life. Um, yeah, so I remember that. The, we don't. We don't need that smoke either, for the record. True. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I remember that they won that game, and actually, I got a high five from Pau Gasol. So I have video proof of that somewhere. It's on my oh my Facebook. god! How was it? How was it? I need to see that. It was magical. My hand glowed for three days. I was like, this is the hand that felt like, yay. So, um, 
yeah it's all all electric when being in there that was my first time being there and just the captivation of of seeing him perform and being in that you know not being guided by the angles of the television but with my own eye and following the action of the court and everything that he would do um just to to say a signature game i i don't know i really don't even want to try because it's like so hard, but I will tell you one that will always that is going to stick with me forever and that's his final game. Because uh, for his final game like me when I used to go to work, I would take the blue line and it's the stop is right there in front of Staples Center. And I got there early enough to see them change over the Pico station to Kobe they just put over like stickers wherever it said Kobe, they just put a sticker that said Kobe. There was a lot of media there and I got to take video of it. And I was like, this is so cool. And then, you know, 10 hours later when I come home, all of downtown is packed. Bumper to bumper traffic, people everywhere decked out in purple and gold, Kobe. There's vendors selling t-shirts and hats and, you know, um, all, all you know, it was a playoff environment that only the Lakers can bring out in Los Angeles, you know, sorry, King, your Stanley Cup run, it was impressive, but nothing packed. There was the, you know, there were reports coming in. Don't go into downtown because all of the streets are blocked. You know, this freeway from blah, 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 blah. It was super crazy. And there was a street fair set up. There was media of every, every country that cared and even did not care about basketball was in downtown you could walk like three feet and somebody was being interviewed about kobe and what do you expect and that night my mom had a flight out of tj to go to mexico and my brother was like you're gonna go with me right i was like it's kobe's final game i don't think so bro good luck with that drive like who the hell like you know uh-uh and so he went and he was you know sad about it i stayed and from the second quarter till the very end, I cried because I cried when he wasn't making the shots. I cried when he was making the shots. I cried when they would show him sitting and talking with, you know, Julius Randle and, you know, all, you know, all the other guys, Larry Nance Jr., you know, uh, and then there's the cuts to to, to, to Fisher and Shaq and Lamar, you know, everybody like talking about, oh, you know, Lamar got to be here because of, you know, his overdose and surviving and all that stuff and how much Kobe helped them through that, right? And then you see Vanessa and the girls, right? And and their, their emotion and seeing him. And then, oh, 30, 40, 50? And then him the the last what was it like like minute and something you know checking out and ryan kelly coming in for him and how he is mobbed by everybody and the jazz are are you know giving you know stepping away letting him have the the, the moment and how he finally gets to rest and you feel the emotion of of everything where it's like this is how everybody that this is how everybody should go out 
it, it, you know, if you what not just as a, as an athlete, but in your own particular field, you should have what he had when it's your last day, where everybody that brought you to that moment is there to congratulate you, and everybody that was your adversary was there to pay their respect, and then you breathe and you get to relax and you just get to retire. And since he passed away, they will. And no doubt this will be next week they will show certain games that are part of his legacy and i have seen that game twice since he passed away and i watch it with great difficulty because it hurts to know that it wasn't even that long ago and then when they show that shot of him holding up gianna and kissing her and celebrating his retirement every emotion that I have rips open and I just don't like I'll, I'll I've sent the messages to Jeff and Pal. I'm like why did I do this to myself I'm over here crying like oh my god this is so horrible like why but for me that is that is we'll, we'll talk about that with them as well but um but then, I definitely wanted to have talked with that with them as well because I know you guys are very close enough that you guys have conversations about obviously when Kobe passed and everything but um before we go there Jeff, what was it? Do you have any memories of having seen him play live? And is there a signature moment that you that anytime you think of it, it's like that that to me is um, definitely so I have a couple. I've I've seen I've been to quite a few Kobe games over the years. Um one was and actually it ended up being the Kareem Rush game. Um in 2004, Western Conference Game Six against the Timberwolves it was a game Kareem Rush had uh, six, yeah, six threes in the fourth quarter, I believe, um, to uh, pull him out. But even then, just watching that dude compete in a Western Conference Finals. Um, and, and this was fairly early, Kobe, yeah, 2004. It was just, I, I, there's not any environment. I mean, maybe USC when we had Reggie Bush is the only thing I can really think of that's like comparable as far as just totally fucking insane. Everybody just going nuts. Um, so like that one. Um, and then I think the... I wasn't obviously there for this, but um, the 81 point game. Uh, so I, I grew up um, and I'm still pretty good friends with Bill McDonald. Who's the guy that calls the Lakers does Lakers TV broadcast. Um, and he just happened to have, he was on radio at the time. He just happened to get asked to fill in that night completely coincidentally. And it happened to be the night that Kobe dropped 81. Um, and so now, like, I go back and listen to it, and I'm like, just let, hear my homie freak the fuck out calling uh, an 81-point game. That's that's pretty fun. That's pretty cool. Uh, as far as seeing him live, uh, I got to see him twice the final year he played. And one of those games was against Portland. I think the very next game he announced it was going to be his last season. So like tickets were still like somewhat, you know, relatively easy to get to, to kind of see him in that last year around this time. 
and he had like a 13 point first quarter. And for me, I was like, I, I don't know. For me, it was kind of cool to sit there and see him do that. Cause I was like, okay, well, I don't know what this team is going to be this year. So I'm just going to celebrate him. And like, I can't tell you how many times in my living room, I was just in awe seeing him put up a double digit first quarter. And I was like, this is vintage Kobe right here. Like I'm, I got my money's worth seeing this alone in the game. And I think he only finished the game with like 16 or 18 points. He, you know, cause around that time, his legs, you know, whatever he could get out of his legs in a given game is what you're getting out of his legs. And I just so happened to get tickets later on in the year, like around February. He so he had already announced he's retiring. The tickets were were pretty good tickets. It, like I mean, the price wasn't bad for his last year, and it was against the Timberwolves. And he went off for thirty nine points, and they won the game, and it was awesome. Like he had a really good shooting percentage because the shooting percentage that year was awful. It was like a cla- the whole game start to finish was just a classic Kobe game. He was terrific, and I was telling myself like. Oh my God. Like I possibly witnessed like the greatest game he'll ever play for the rest of his career. And the next, and you know, another game didn't top that until obviously his last one, which was the 60, the 60 point game. But at the time I was like, Oh, like I witnessed something very special. Like I got to see, you know, a Kobe that, that you don't get to see that often. And he just dominated that game from start to finish. But there was that one. And I think I recent, uh, I was telling Jeanette and I think Jeff was there, but I was telling Jeanette a story about how, I went to go see it was during the the Dwight year the first time Dwight was on the team and the Lakers were down to the Bobcats by like 18 points going into the fourth quarter and my friends were ready to leave and I was like we got Kobe Bryant on the team there's no way I'm leaving this game like they still have a chance mind you they're down 18 and sure enough they win it by one point and like it's just because he he took the he took the ball over for every possession in that game on defense he whoever the lead ball handler was he he wanted the defensive assignment and on both ends he just took over for the rest of the game and he was awesome. So as far as seeing him live, like those moments stand out to me, but like the reason why I'm such a diehard basketball fan and a diehard, you know, Lakers and Kobe fan, I would have to say is the game that really got me hooked into basketball is when he hit the double buzzer beaters against Portland. And like, I never knew sports could be that exciting until that moment, you know, in my young youth. And from then on, like the adrenaline of just wanting to never miss that again, like I had to see every game that Kobe was going to play from then on out because I could miss a moment like that. So th- th- those are kind of what, what stand out to me. Man, I remember in that Portland, that Portland game, I was supposed to be playing in a high school basketball tournament at modern day. And I was sitting in the parking lot like late to the game starting because I had to hear the end of it on the radio. And I was just down to get screamed at by my coach because I had to hear the end of it and screw him. That shit was so amazing. No, I remember there was a finals. It had to be uh, 09. And we were having a, or no, it was 2010. And we were having a meeting for work. And every couple minutes, this was at a, like at a hall. This was after hours, of course. And our director, who was supposed to be like giving us like the information, like here's the, how, how the company's doing, like every 10 minutes, he would give us a score update and it would be like, uh, you know, Lakers, da, da, da. It, was a, it was during the finals and he would be like, Lakers, da. and he's like, oh, and Kobe has so many. And everybody was, and then there was a point, he did that like four times. And then after that, he's like, he's like, you know what? We all need to get home. We need to be traffic. Everybody gets bonuses. Thank you. Let's hope the Lakers uh, win tonight. Blah blah blah. So we all got to go home, and and it, it, it was like such a weird. 
it's I haven't experienced that ever again where it was like we weren't on our time we were on his time so it's like to be on his time it's like okay well now we gotta go we gotta go and watch this because it sounds like something great is happening i just want to say like you know we, we you talk uh, it's talked a lot about radio dying but listening to a kobe bryant basketball game called on radio is so exciting like i, I don't know how to describe it i um so my that when when they're in the I think it's the 2009 playoffs and they're playing the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals and it's it's a really you know competitive series at this point you know and it's kind of like it, it could kind of I think it was maybe at two two at at one point and like it was either way because both teams were playing really hard but I remember listening to Game Five in the parking lot and then hear you know hearing the call of Ariza steal and just kind of hearing everything Kobe was doing in that game and it's just like. You know, it's 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 even those those little things that with him where it's just like any any way you can have a way to tap into what a you know Kobe Bryant basketball game is happening, you don't want to miss those moments. They're just they're so special. Could that you know he's gonna do whatever he can, whatever it takes you know to win, and that's what makes basketball just you know so exciting. So uh, let me ask you all a question, Jeanette, because I know you worked in, with shoe in uh, Foot Locker for a period of time of your life. What is your signature Kobe sneak? Your favorite Kobe sneaker, if you can think of one. I was there in 2000, 2001 when the Adidas Kobe's came out. The crazy eights. Yeah, and and uh, my sister she actually bought had the all white ones, and uh, I never bought a pair. I just did not find them at all to be appealing and pleasing. I'm like. Like, I can't believe this is what he came up with. And then when he came back with Nike, right, after, you know, uh, and he had, he started off with the Harachis. Those were so bomb. I had a black and silver pair that were actually a half size too small, but I still worked them because they look great and they hurt my feet like hell because they were the last pair. And I'm like, I'm going to wear them because they look great. And then um, he moved on and he got his own designer and it was no longer the Harachis. That's when the actual, like, by the time that the actual like Mamba models came out, I no longer worked at Foot Locker, but that was the last one. And it was, you know, we had the Olympic version. We had, of course, the the, the Lakers version. Um, when they, when the, the Foot Locker I used to work at was in downtown Los Angeles. So when they did, debuted the Sunday nights, all white Jersey, right for the first time we got it and we got it like the week before it debuted that sunday and i remember that i sold so many of those and i told them i told the guys if the the because it was all guys buying them like if you, you're going to show up to staples center on sunday or to your lakers party on sunday this is what they're going to be wearing nobody knows this you're going to be ahead of the game you're going to like you're going to look so good you're going to like be a total insider $75 it's totally worth it it's good and then after that I had all these dudes come back and they were my repeat customers because they thought I had like this fashion hookup like whatever to give them and I was just like yeah dude totally like what do you want like purple yeah we're gonna get your purple all oh, you the Minneapolis totally I'll set you aside an extra large just remember you have to ask for Jeanette so I can get my three percent commission on the $75 Good times. Anytime I get to talk about making money in Foot Locker, it's a great conversation. <laughs> Jeff, do you have a favorite signature Kobe sneaker? I mean, so I'm not as big of a sneakerhead 
as uh certainly not as Jeanette um probably not as any of you um I'm more of like a low top van sort of guy but that being said um so Jeanette he was wearing the Hirachi just the regular Nike Hirachis before he went to the okay so the Hirachi 2k5s are the greatest basketball shoe ever made I still have I still have the pair that I owned in I wore Walter disagrees with your take sorry my dog was yelling barking um no I I, the the I still have my 2k5s from high school i only wear them indoors so they're still okay they don't look that great but they are so goddamn good they're the best shoes ever man i've gone through so many pairs of basketball shoes since then and those are still my favorites okay i was actually so i own like three pairs of three pairs of kobe's i'm winded because i was trying to go up into my upper closet and find them and i couldn't and it's just I went up there twice. The first, I was like, you know what? No, I, I quit the first time. I came back to you guys. And I was like, no, I'm determined to find them. And then I, I didn't find them. I did find my Kobe sixes, but those aren't the ones I was looking for. So I found a pic. I already had a picture pulled up just in case, you know, have a plan B. Um, the Kobe sevens, which I, I own somewhere around here. They're known as the poison darts. They have a little. They, yeah. So they have a little, a uh, little frog on the back of them too they're pretty cool and then i would say uh nike sent me a pair of kobe ad's before they had come out so the tongues there uh if you want i can go get them and, and I, I think they're uh they're somewhere around here but yeah but they have they have black mamba on the on the so one tongue on one shoe says black and the other one says mamba and those are really cool so on his when he got his jerseys retired I had a little viral moment on Twitter where I had like tweeted out to like a bunch of Laker affiliated people and in, including Jeannie Buss and she retweeted it and the tweet went off like crazy and it was related to like my weight loss and whatnot. But uh, Nike had seen the tweet and they, you know, said, hey, uh, DM us real quick and I DM them and then they sent me a, a nice, a lovely care package with a lovely note saying, you know, keep inspiring people with the mama mentality and passing it along. I got this shirt was one of three. Um, and I got, you know, free Kobe's too. So I got another shirt that's, that just says Kobe, but it's the Laker logo and it says Kobe. And then I have one that's like a champion. It looks like a Lakers championship banner, but it says black Mamba on it. And then on the sleeves, there's an eight and a 24. So that was pretty cool. So thank you Nike again for, for doing that. That was incredibly nice of them and Kobe. Well, well, if Nike wants to shape up and sponsor this podcast anytime soon, you know, now's the time to do it before we start making our pitches to adidas and puma so nike you better start you know you better get on your p's and q's i thought we we're gonna go with rock ports no no i, I love rock ports don't get me started with rock ports <laughs> jeanette don't get me started with rock ports there i i, I could i could i could write essays about rock ports but oh. that's just you know but we'll, we'll hold back we'll hold that one back for another day the most comfortable pair of shoes i have ever purchased Anyways, let's. I you you remember the commercial of Michael Jordan? I think it may have been like a, a Nike commercial where they it's young Michael Jordan versus older Michael Jordan, and you see Michael Jordan in different phases. It's basically him playing one on one against each other. 
is Michael like young Michael Jordan from like North Carolina versus uh Michael Jordan in his prime, like let's just say. Oh, so, so he never he, he never played against the Wizards, Michael Jordan. Hmm. No. <laughs> Selective editing, huh? So we take Kobe from his years with Shaq versus Kobe with the in his years with Powell. Not the teams, but the Kobe's themselves. And you put them one on one. Who do you think actually wins between the two? Jeanette, starting with you. Uh, it's uh, it's 24 Kobe because he's the wily veteran. He's a cerebral assassin. He may not have the speed of the young Kobe, you know, so it's the art. It's the little argument of age versus experience. And it's 24 Kobe that would totally humble number eight Kobe probably ends up in a fist fight. No, no not probably undoubtedly ends in a fist fight. <laughs> How about you, Jeff? It's 24. It's it's 24. It's not close. It's just um they because he was still insanely athletic then. It's not like he was an old washed up man and he had years of figuring everything out at that point. So yeah, I think it's Pal, I think you pretty much pointed it out, but I think he said 24 Kobe. Yeah, well it yeah, it's because it, it's it's the it's the mind combined with the athleticism at that point that that it really is because it's like if you look at Kobe through the two thousand through his two thousand eight two thousand ten playoff run those three years he was unguardable they they literally like teams didn't have a player on their roster who could pick him up I remember the Nuggets had to put Kenyon Martin on him in one series because they really didn't know what to do. And then they had a young Damon Jones who was supposed to be just this huge defensive, like, oh, this young defensive, like, dog. And and Kobe said, this guy's going to guard me. And I remember, like, he, pick, he picked up four fouls in the first quarter. I've never, ever seen a player pick up foul, four fouls in the first quarter so fast. <laughs> and, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. That, that's a good point. That's a good point, too. But, I mean, like, it, it was – it wasn't he was legitimately trying to guard him and Kobe was just so crafty that like he he there was no way he could do it without fouling him. So it's just like if you look at the the younger Kobe, he was really eager to r- rush up certain shots where it's just the 24 was just in your head. He he you know, he was so smart, he was so smart, so methodical and he, he was st- like Jeff said, he was still athletic enough to the point where it's just like it, it's not even it's not even close because of the the mind power. What did Kobe symbolize for the actual city of Los Angeles? Because Los Angeles has all these athletes, you know, in their coming, coming and going and everything. What does, what do you think Kobe exemplifies for the city of Los Angeles before we start talking about his passing, unfortunate passing? Like, the, because, you know, when you think of Cleveland, you, the only thing you can really think of other than basically mediocre teams, you think of, LeBron, or I guess Akron, when you think of LeBron. Kobe wasn't necessarily born in Los... <laughs> Kobe wasn't necessarily born in Los Angeles, but do you think he is the greatest athlete of that ever to play in Los Angeles? Or is there an athlete that you think, like, is magic bigger than Kobe in Los Angeles? Or is pretty much just Kobe really the ultimate athlete for Los Angeles? If you were to say what... Um, who represents New York? Most people say either Derek Jeter or I guess Derek Jeter nowadays. 
but like for Los Angeles, is Kobe the ultimate athlete for LA? Yeah, he definitely, I would definitely say so. Yeah, I mean, he, he was, we, we got to see him grow up and go through so many ups and downs and it was, you know, 20 years of him, of him being our, our star player for our star team. You know, when in, in LA, you don't have, you know, we didn't have football for so long. So you had the Lakers as your, as your number one team, you know, that's our number one thing, but it's also just, you know, when you talk about star power in the city of LA, the city of angels, you have these godlike figures sometimes that people present kind of through Hollywood or whatnot. And Kobe was one of those people. He was a star. He was transcended across everything. You know, he, anything he was in, you know, he was just so smooth and, and just so good at it. I mean, like, I think Jalen Rose had that, that comedy show that was supposed to be on ESPN and it's supposed to kind of be like curb. And I don't know if you ever saw the, the 81 point skit he did with him in that. But Kobe's timing was incredible. Like, I don't know if you guys saw Space Jam, yeah, one, yeah. but like it took a minute for, for me to, to to buy into LeBron's performance a little bit. But like, you know, some 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 athletes, some stars, like, you know, you have to know if they have it. So it's like one thing about Kobe, like even his post games were a spectacle. You wanted to see what he had to say. You wanted to, you just wanted to hear him talk because he, he was so like, he just drew you in by the way, how smart he was. By the way, he saw things just by the way he, you know, talked, even by the way he talked shit. He was just, it was always awesome. He had people eating out of the palm of his hands because he was entertaining and he was just a star. Jeff, is Kobe the greatest athlete to come from Los Angeles? Hands down. So, 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 again, I think this is probably a bit about when you're born, right? For, I mean, it's not a bit, it's a lot, a lot about when you're born. uh, No, no, no. Uh, I just like, no, so before I knew who Kobe was, when I was a little kid, my dad pounded into my head over and over and over again. Best basketball player of all time, Magic Johnson. Pass first, Magic Johnson. Pass first, pass first, pass first, pass first. Um, and, and so, like, for that generation, I mean, because of what Magic did for the NBA when he came in, it, he, he is still right up there. That being said, yes, Kobe is the most important, relevant. Well, I mean, I guess if you want to go some old Dodgers, maybe. But yes, he is the the D Los Angeles athlete. And and part of that, I think, is that um, we have like such a massively diverse group of people in Southern California that frequently don't get along. And Kobe was the one thing that I have ever seen ever that united every single person, unless they were a Clippers fan. Yeah. I have- Other than Fernando Valenzuela. Oh, I was thinking about Fernando, but not, not like Kobe though. I would say I would say he's close though, because the Dodgers unveiled their new jerseys today, and even like I always see Fernando in almost every jersey thing that they unveil, anything, anything that they promote Dodgers, he's still a prominent figure with that. So I would say he, you know, he's kind of for when it comes to the Dodgers, you know, Fernando oh. might be our Kobe in that in that sense. Okay, so uh, Dodgers retired thirty four. You cowards! It's about damn time. Fuck that Hall of Fame bullshit that you guys keep on promoting. I mean, you guys have absolutely no problem every time I've gone to Dodger Stadium. It's on this day in Dodger history, and it's always Fernando Valenzuela did something. So, retired 34. Nobody wears it anyways out of respect for Fernando. So, do it, Kasten. You ain't doing anything else anyways. Uh, on Kobe. Yeah, it's everything that the guys have just said. Um, 
you know, it, I, to me, it would actually be Jackie Robinson because he's actually from here, went to UCLA and all that stuff. But then, you know, you we we didn't get to see him endure what he endured. Did Jackie Robinson actually played. He Los went to Angeles UCLA. Much? No, a, no, no, no. As a Dodger, did he play much no. in Los Angeles? Or his career had ended uh, I think a little bit after the Angeles. after the they came over, but he was at UCLA. So no, I'm just wondering. I'm saying as, as I'm saying as a professional athlete, but yeah, yeah you're so, right. so you know Jackie Robinson. I went to and I went to Pasadena to see his old house. He's in that elite category, and it's hard to pick because there's been so many great people. But if you want to point to to the things that Jeff has said about uniting various people, not just the people that loved him, but also the people that he you know he gave fits and conniptions to as fans of other teams. It's the you know when we all found out that he had died. You know the the convergence and and, and Staples Center of a week long mourning, twenty four hours, young old white non white rich poor middle class, and and as 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 Rona's getting started, too. That's the other like creepy kind of thing we're, we're like starting to hear about this freaking disease and people are like coming together and that once again media of all over the world just videotaping people in their most vulnerable moment and and to me i haven't seen the city kind of the entire city come together in that way since the Lakers actually probably won a championship because we can get together to like, you know, loot, riot and whatnot, but that's just different energy. So then take me to that day when you guys found out, because like I said, you guys have a camaraderie and a friendship where you guys talk about, you know, especially when you're having a down moment and thinking about Kobe, these are the friends that you rely upon to be able to have a conversation because they understand where you're coming from. So take me to that day when you find out Kobe passed, you know, Jeanette. I thought it was a hoax, in all honesty. And uh, because my brother sent us a text message, well, the screenshot from TMZ. And a couple of days before, my brother had fallen for the hoax of uh, The Undertaker is dead. And he has fallen for that hoax of The Undertaker being dead so many damn times. So I'm like, okay, this, you know, I'm like, and I texted him, I'm like, like, oh, you're getting this from the same place that you get your Undertaker's dead news. It's like, it's not funny. And he's like, no, like, go to TMZ. And I went to TMZ and that was the lead story. And then I go to Twitter because, you know, Twitter, you verify stuff. It's one or the other. It's either TMZ or Twitter that breaks your news. And no, there, it was not trending. And nothing was trending. Nobody was reacting to it. And then I refresh. And the first tweet I see is Michael Thompson, and it just says no. All caps, like no, not like it, something along those lines, like he couldn't believe it. And then I try to go back to TMZ and it's down. And it won't load. And you know, I was in Target with my mom and my sister. And it was the most quietest moment I've ever experienced. And then we all broke into tears, you know what? And it had to, that had to be the shortest 
target run ever the least expensive and our target is in downtown so to 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 drive by it we have to go by staples center and it was already you know partially blocked off because of the grammys but going home we don't drive by it again we go a different direction and we turn on espn la they're not talking about it like go to another news radio station and they're just talking about the helicopter crash and how it's you know it's it's believed to be but can't be confirmed and then in the span of 15 minutes everything is confirmed but the news it just wasn't who was on there so it went from the whole family kobe by himself and a bunch of different teammates and then it was just him gianna and the other um teammates and their families and the pilot and that was incredibly hard incredibly hard and you had your friends to be able to converse no because we 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 all didn't know each other um in uh in 2020 we all met afterwards so the only people that i could go through this this loss was with my family and sitting in my living room with the news on crying you know big fat tears with my sister my brother my mom my son it's like you're finding out um, your your own family member has died and you can't look at each other you can't commute you can't communicate anything and you don't know what to do you know i had a similar feeling when when i saw the news come upon i think it came upon uh, ABC. I was watching ABC for some reason, and or I was watching ESPN, and they went into NBC News or ABC News, and they're briefly talking about it. And I'm like, no, what, what, what is this? No, you know, it's it, it, it's can't be like it was like you can the my house, sort of like well, my mom and dad are getting ready to go to church, my brother and I were having some sort of debate and stuff like that, and I had to tell him, Kevin, be quiet a minute. I, I'm not I'm not believing what I'm reading. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, my eyes, I'm like, no, I'm not reading. I'm, I, the, I can't believe what it is that I'm reading. Because the year before, you remember Jenny Rivera died in, in, a, in a similar car, uh, a plane uh, helicopter accident. And then when you're hearing the, the, the this about Kobe, I'm like, what would, you, you're thinking to yourself, what? Are we? Is this true? How how did how did they find out? And, you, and and it's hard to grasp because you guys are from Los Angeles, but I'm from New York. So Kobe doesn't mean as much to me as an athlete to you all because he is your player. And it's like we lost a player of our generation. Yes. And. And I'm wondering for you, Jeff, what when you when the news ticker uh, did you cut did you read this across the news ticker or was it was it did your friends call you and tell you that this happened? So I was standing about five feet from where I am right now, and I got a message from my buddy who doesn't pay attention to shit, much less anything sports related, and it just said. Kobe died 
I'm just like, okay, no. Like, this person does not have this right. Um, and then I confirmed it, I think, on Twitter. And I don't remember the rest of that day. I just don't remember it, dude. I know that I spent like most of the week thereafter crying. And that's kind of when it hit me that this was a lot bigger than just a basketball player. Um, I mean, I always knew that, but it was a little bit different then, obviously. But I don't remember. I, I'm just, I kind of just blank, blank on it. I just kind of just went numb. No, I, I, I remember that having the emotion of like the sadness and the grief and, you know, everything that you go through when you're hurting and then it subsides, not the actual acceptance, um, but it kind of like, there was an ebb and a flow to the grief and then it resurfacing when at 12 noon the clipper game there was a there was a the clipper game right and seeing Kawhi dumbfounded and the eight second uh, shot clock violation to start all the games and then the most the one that sticks with me from all those sunday games was tim duncan crying remember 20 years we've never seen tim duncan show any type of emotion good bad and different ever and you see him breaking crying in disbelief players of opposing teams coaches comforting each other as they're coming out and they don't know do we have do we do a shoot around and they're in the same situation that i am and I see their reaction and I cry. And it, you know, the, there was like the whole debate of like canceling the Sunday because it was, you know, don't don't play the games and because it was so disrespectful or, or you know, I think what they did was more or less the good thing to do. But then, turning to other sporting events on that day and seeing similar. Um, you know which one killed me? Sabrina Ionescu. That one, that one absolutely was the arrow right to my heart because when you see all the athletes that played with them, it's one thing. But seeing people that are mentored by him after his career and you see everyone saying, that and then you see the video of him courtside with his daughter and you realize these are two people like that we lost yeah, when i saw devin booker never looked younger to me uh, uh then in that moment when his grief came out and i saw him cry he looked like an incredibly he looked like a child i wanted to to reach out and hug him and comfort him because he looked so lost and then this is you know he this accident happens on the sunday monday going to work and one of my co-workers is a season is a Lakers season ticket holder and then my supervisor is a lifelong 
you know, everybody was a, is a Laker fan to an extent, but she's super huge. And we all get together. It's like five of us. And we all see each other. We don't say anything. We all hug. And we start hugging and we start like crying. And this is in an office, like we're right in the middle of a passageway. Everybody can see us and we don't care, but also nobody says anything. And people were walking past us and patting us. And it was like, it was understandable. And then I, and, and there was even like our director sent us an email and said that if any of us wanted to leave because we couldn't process our grief, they're like, it's fine. Use your, you, you know, go home. You know, we will totally understand. And I've, it was such an, it was an, it was a very surreal moment because even I remember that day going to work and everything seemed less. There was less noise. There was less vibrancy and and, and and everything that I would see. And even myself, I lacked energy to to be. And it felt like that that day it was so impactful where like I said, it's like if it's your own relative where you where you have the the emotion come in and it hits you so hard and then i i remember that i texted my sister and i'm like this is how i feel I'm like but can you imagine what vanessa is going through that poor woman and for her the whole time i've always my heart bled more for her in, in this past since everything happened than for anybody else. And I know based on our conversations, you the thing that, that hits you the most is you being a mother of a child, you know, and her being a mother of, of several children and the the linkage or the parallel lines it is as you being a parent and knowing that she's dealing she's dealing with two children you know, and having lost one, and how do you move on from there? And you lost a player that you love, she lost her husband and a child, and it's like you're understanding the grief and the pain that she's going through. Not necessarily because you went through it, you know, the loss of a child or a partner, but the fact that you're understanding that this is, that it's it's bigger than it's bigger than just the loss of a player or the loss of a husband or the loss of a child it's affects the entire community and someone that i know that's impacted a lot is you yourself chris and you and you said that mamba mentality affected you and shaped you into the person that you are how did your life how was it for you when you heard about kobe's passing? Uh it's a little bit of both of kind of like what Jeanette and Jeff have been saying where like you remember certain parts and you, and there's certain things that you don't. So it's like those first 15 minutes, uh, my roommate or a former roommate of mine, he had, he had texted me. Um, and you know, it, the, I mean, it, it, you keep mentioning, you know, the biggest athlete in LA and stuff too. And like, he was also a part of your family because you watched him with your family. You watched him with your friends. You know, you watched him grow up. 
So seeing something like that, you know, you watched him become a father, you watched him have kids, like you've, you've seen all of this very publicly. So you almost feel, you know, in some way, a part of that, you know, like we all, we all in a way feel a part of that. He's a part of, he's been a part of our family and, and kind of like, you know, just who we are. So it's like, I, I, you know, my, my roommate, you know, we, we all the time would watch him play and he texted me and he, he broke the news to me. And then it's the same thing of trying to find information and the team, you know, you have your TMZ and then Nick, it's, it's those first 15 minutes were just rough. Cause it's just, you're getting phone call after phone call from, you know, different people. And it's just like, you know, you're, you're kind of being hit with it over and over. And it's just, it's so hard. And like, you freak out because like you think his whole family's on the plane. That's the very first thing you hear is that his whole family's there. And then like, his family's not there and it's like oh you know well it's like it's like okay like the, you know and then Gigi's there and like the worst part of it all was that Gigi and her teammate were there like that like that that that's been the hardest part for me like this entire time you know because it's just like you you saw from everything you saw from her like you saw the exact same drive that her dad had and it's tough to have a drive like that when you come from so much, like when you have so many opportunities and like you just saw, you know, like the bond that the two of them had too. And like that, that was just one of the hardest parts. And it's just like, I I remember crying that whole week. Um, but I had started like a, uh, I had taken over like a middle, a middle school classroom at the time for the rest of their semester. And you know, you, you're, you're starting your first day with a bunch of eighth graders, you know, the day after his passing and, you know, it's a bunch of eighth graders, they're chaotic. They don't know, you know, they barely saw him play. They barely know how much it means to you. And like the whole time, like they're making a joke of it and you're just trying to, you know, put it out of your mind, but it's all anybody wants to talk about. And it's like the last thing you want to hear about the last thing you want to talk about. Like you don't, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to acknowledge it. You don't want to accept it. You don't want to come face to face with it. And it's just so hard. And everything with his family was just difficult too. And that's constantly what was just on your mind is like, who's got them. And I think, you know, to be honest, like as much as I talk about Pau Gasol and I'm like, kind of like, a semi Pau Gasol fan account or whatever you want to call it. Like one thing that's really helped out through all of this is knowing his family. It has somebody, you know, to support them, not saying like financially just meant like, just like, you know, be there for them for, for whenever, you know, you need them for, for celebrating the good parts of his life and everything. And, you know, you know, focusing on the positives and, and, you know, he's been kind of referred to in, in on Lakers Twitter as uncle Pau and, and Uncle Pow has been awesome, and, and it's kind of been reassuring for me. Um, but, you know, I'd be lying if I said, like, even today I'm okay. And I'm, you know, like, like this didn't affect me in a big way where it's just like, you know, it's, it's yeah, you know, we, we, you know, you could talk about mindset, mental health, mama mentality, but it's just like, for me, my parents got divorced right when I really started getting into Laker basketball. And I mean... <laughs> Like both your parents are out of the house. It's like the one constant you have is uh, abs absolutely, pal. Because I, I remember telling Jeff 
um, like, I find it difficult to talk about him in the past tense. Kobe used to. Kobe was. In, in, in forming those sentences, it, it, it still stings. And this is, you know, 19 months later, something like that. And I know there's going to be a time where it becomes comfortable to, to speak of him in the past tense because he is no longer with us. But it doesn't feel appropriate to do so. And the one thing that I've that has really come out of this uh, is, like I said, it's Vanessa. So when you saw her at the memorial and the strength that she had to to eulogize her husband and her daughter, you know, the, the lawsuit that she has pending against the sheriffs and the you know LA Fire Department for, you know, with taking the photos at the crime scene and then sharing them for personal gain, you know, whatever. And then the Hall of Fame speech. When it was the Hall of Fame induction speech, us three, we were all like, we have each other's backs. We're gonna get each other through this. We have we're gonna support each other because it was a hard day. And ever since I found Jeff and Pow, I mean, and you, Jose, as well, I am incredibly grateful that I get to share some of this heaviness. And it's not just me. And it's also not just me that feels this way. And that is incredibly enlightening in, in the many terms that you can use that word. And, you know, these guys have been my rocks at moments where I felt like this is too much, not just in the aspects of Kobe, but in other things, in, you know, in life and the, since I've met them and you, Jose, as well. So to be able to share with them and for us to be vulnerable in this moment means a lot to me. Um, I appreciate them so much. And you know, I, I love you guys. <laughs> we love you too, Jeanette. Thank you. Uh, we're all big blubbery weedies. I sound so well, congested. I, I, I will share something with you guys. It's not necessarily about Kobe, though. So Jeanette knows my. There's two stories that I have for you that relate it that I correlate with fandom and loss. One, I remember being in second grade, and I told Jeanette this story. Yeah, I, I know I, that we were going through. Um, you know, when you're reading stories from a textbook, and we're and it happens to be that we're reading about Roberto Clemente. And we got through midway of the point of the book of the story. It's like one of those little children's books where you read, you're learning to read phonetically and everything. And we get through about midway of the point. And I would come home and I'm telling my mom and dad, oh my God, this player played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was born in Puerto Rico. He's number 21. He played for the San Dulce Cangrejeros. And telling him like how incredible it was that he hit his 3,000 thousand hit on his last game and 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 that uh, he was such a great player and my mom goes oh yeah and then he died and i'm like what no i'm furiously debating them furiously debating the fact that this player who died before i was never born 
furiously debating them about the life of this player. To the next day, I remember going into that classroom and then we read about he got on a plane to Nicaragua to help earthquake victims and the plane crashed and he died. And I remember to this day, the sense of loss and hurt and the fact that this bubble bursting for me of an athlete who I've never seen play, but is very much like me and a Hispanic person and, and, and tying and, and tying my, you know, the these feelings on because I was loving baseball because my parents, you know, my father would watch the Mets and his favorite um, favorite team was the New York Mets and all these things in time. You know, this passion that I have onto a player that that was the beacon of humanitarianism. And then to that, then it's like the shock of the heart for a moment. And then you fast forward. So I never told anyone this other than my brother. Fast forward, I would say 2000, I think I was, it was in the late mid aughts I think maybe 2018, a little around there. And there's this comedian named Harris Whittles. Now you guys may not be familiar with Harris Whittles unless you're a big Parks and Rex fan. He was one of the guys from the Animal Control. It was the guy that has the fish. He's a big fan of fish. And in fact, had a podcast about with, um, with Scott Ackerman about fish, where he's trying to get Scott Ackerman into fish. And I, he used to make all these appearances on Comedy Bang Bang, and he's up, up and emerging. He's a big, um, he's going to be big. He's huge because he worked on Parks and Recreation. J.R. Smith's playing golf. Really right? big. Like the fact that he he's, He has called eligibility. He's good. And did so all these wonderful a, a things point. and was really funny. And he was connecting with um, the Adam Scott, who you remember, Jeff, because he had Catalina Wine... wine uh, 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 wine mixer wine mixer and chelsea peretti so they 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 are all together they're great friends and they have them on and all these things and then i go and listen to you made it weird with pete holmes and and here harris Woodles is talking about how he's off of drugs and he, how he's cleaning up his life and how he's looking forward to the next day and all these wonderful things and that he's Broke out that his ex girlfriend tried to get him into Scientology. She helped clean his up his life and all these wonderful things. Well, as I'm listening to this, I look on Twitter, and this is the first time I felt the loss of a celebrity ever in my life. Like, I mean, I mean, an actual someone when Patrice O'Neill passed away, it was oh, he passed away. He's, there was a big age divide. When, you know, all these other, Greg Geraldo died. Oh my God, Greg Geraldo died. But there's a big eighth divide. But when you see, yes, pal, he did pretty humble brag. But when you see someone that's your age and you go, oh, Harris Whittles, why is he trending? And it says, Harris Whittles died of an overdose. I shrunk in my chair and cried my heart out because I've seen a contemporary, someone that's my age or roughly around my age. And it's like, my God, you had your future ahead of you and you relapsed and you died and your friends are just mourning and crying. 
and you hear all these comedians talking about, we loved him. Why did he reach out to us and all these things? And I know it's not associated with Kobe, but the fact that the community, the comedy community just sunk and cried their hearts out. And the, I think Amy Poehler was accepting an award that same weekend. And she goes, the world will never know the genius of this man. And he died recently. And I accept this award, award in his name. And I think of Kobe and the loss of, of Kobe, the loss of Gianna, the loss of those players that, you know, on that helicopter, those parents. And the impact that those parents may not even know that they have on other parents. The impact that those kids, along with Gianna, has on other kids that day that we're going to be playing. And future children and future players and how now they have to carry this legacy that Kobe instilled in them, this mentality that Kobe instilled in them, this that they have to say, I didn't get to have him for all these years, but what I was able to gain from him, just like the people that, that were around um, Harris Williams, what I was able to gain from him, I'm going to try to impart on you and try to do better. And the fact that, like I said, Sabrina Ionescu was the one that hit me the most. When I'm seeing, because the, she had in, she was a college player that basically was a huge, that loves Kobe. And her on her knees on the basketball court, crying at, in, in Oregon, because I think they were playing at, at the University of Oregon at that time, crying her heart out and talking about he was a mentor to me. And then you find out all the things that Kobe was doing behind the scenes, mentoring players, talking to players, watching video of them and saying, hey, you might want to do a pivot step here, or you may want to do a euro step there, or these are the things that you got to look for. And know that these people won't have a teacher on their level or greater to be able to help them become either better people, better players. And the fact that it's now upon his wife and his two daughters and his friends to be able to fill this this hole in the hearts of Los Angeles and other players and future players to come. It's, 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 there's no well, words for it. I only hope there's a song that from a grand combo called, um, whatever you're going to give me, give me to me my life. And I'm hoping that Kobe got his roses in his life from players because you know how adversarial he was on the court. But I'm hoping that in some way off the court, people like Tim Duncan and all these other players that loved him because he did love him, were able to at least convey that to him post-game and, and post-retirement in some fashion before this happened. Because man, the NBA, I don't the NBA may bounce back with other athletes, but they'll never have that, they'll never be able to fill in that hole that Kobe left, in my opinion. Yeah, so when it was his last last game, a, a lot had been made of the him mending fences with Shaq, uh, which I think was one of his primary bad relationships that, that still lingered and that it was something that everybody wanted for both of them because 
they eventually grew to recognize how they both played a part in ending ending the dynasty how it was not just a one-sided it was not a one-sided war it was you know both contributing and stuff like that so getting to see them actually commiserate and and on his last day and then afterwards at the at the memorial added a lot to it whoever wasn't able to to make those those amends or kobe himself wasn't able to do it it that would be a, you know a, a huge loss and it re, will remain like a what if over the party's heads but i think for everybody that remains it's always um what would it be like if he was still here what would he you know what would he be what would he think of you know whatever any and everything that's going on you know his his oldest daughter just moved and went to college this week she just and he, and it's like no doubt she would want him to be there to carry a box or you know try to set up her computer you know something give her a couple bucks to go eat you know at the cafeteria i, I don't know that stuff but even who knows maybe he would even attended with her would, jeff would he, kobe have had eligibility you know, for usc him and andy enfield what do you think yeah i think um i mean i don't see why he couldn't have gotten out there put up you know 40 50 a game yeah there you go wow yeah. he he would have if, if kobe would have done that he would have broken the bank for nil a million dollars a million dollar for the for the for the alabama QB. oh my god please did he not see, did he not see a player from from alabama just got it and a big i think a million dollar nil from kool-aid uh, yeah uh, <laughs> a player from alabama uh, yeah. some line from alabama because he loves cooling andrew bynum gets picked up by cal <laughs> right he has eligibility too he gets- you start seeing these high school players that you know come back for their shot call <laughs> comes back to show what's up dwight yeah. has to play in the sec because he's not academically eligible anywhere else <laughs> no, he's still in the league though, so he doesn't he doesn't apply. That only applies to guy high school players that are out of the That's league. That's true. Go he, give him a couple years. Kevin Garnett, you can still bring back Kevin Garnett. If you you can bring back Kevin Garnett. He's still eligible. That's true. Very true. I like it. You know what? Let's the... end this on a, on, a, on a nice highlighted note. I want to know. Actually, two things I want. I'll, I'll ask you guys, and then if you guys want to ask any questions around, go ahead. I want to know what do you think Kobe told Tyron Lue on the step over game in the locker room, the the Allen Iverson step over game. Well, I'll I'll say this: as much as people want to say he's an asshole to his teammates and whatnot, when it, when it came to Tyron Lue, anything you'll ever read about Kobe interacting with Tyron Lue, he would always encourage him to shoot the damn ball. Whenever Tyron Lue would have it, Kobe would say, hey, man, I'm passing to you. Shoot the fucking ball. Like, he was super supportive of Tyron Lue and always tried to talk him up. So I think he would have, you know, told him not not to let it get him down. You know, uh, we, we'll get him the next game. So that's kind of how I view it. Like, he, from everything I've read between their relationship, he was always very positive towards Tyron Lue. See, I'm going to disagree on this one because, yes, he encouraged him to shoot. But Ty Lue was out there specifically to be an AI stopper, which he was quite good at. But then when you get stepped over after your job is to be the AI stopper. I mean, 
I could see Kobe giving him some pretty serious shit for that one. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, yeah, like, he was probably like, yeah, it's not like this photo, this moment's gonna come back to bite you in the butt in the future. <laughs> like, like he didn't know what memes were, so yeah. he's just like, he's like, hey, it happens to the best of us. It's an experience that don't, you know, don't worry about it. He was probably, you know, what he probably was like, if we win, this will be forgotten. He probably told him something along those lines. I just picture, remember the Simpsons where Lisa breaks Ralph Wiggum's heart and it's recorded and Bart's going back and forth and then in slow motion goes, look, Lisa, you can tell the exact moment where you broke Ralph Ralph's heart. I can picture just Kobe putting video of that over and over in slow-mo, in fast forward and all these different things to go, okay, I want you to be able to see this exact moment where Alan Iverson took your soul. <laughs> I do it to my brother. I uh, do it to Jeff too. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, and right. my last question for you guys all if you could have one piece of Kobe um, memorabilia maybe it's the ticket from his first game or the ticket from his last game um, a tooth that he knocked out of someone's face with his elbow you, anything you can think of what would an infamous piece of uh, a famous or infamous piece of Kobe memorabilia? What would you like to encase in the in glass? Jeanette, starting with you, if you can think of it. I am torn between the Oscar or the mask that he wore uh, when they broke his nose. Okay, uh, you know I gotta go. I want the either the undershirt or the undershirt and the jersey if I could have both. From when he hit the buzzer beater against Phoenix in Game Four of the um, the first round uh, back in 2006, when he's doing like the ah, and he's like ripping it across his chest. I don't know. It's, it's an iconic visual moment for him. So like, I'd want that that jersey or the undershirt. Would you also remember. want Big the Rick's uh, headgear? <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. I want I want his specific headgear from when he ran onto the court that night. Okay. Good. Great. Thank you. That that's what I want. Yeah. That. <laughs> or his MVP, like a replica of his MVP from 2008. I don't know that, like you know that like puffy orange vest and the gray beanie he was wearing when he was messing with Luca. Mm-hmm. Those look, those look pretty comfy. Are we- I mean, I, I'm not really about, honestly. I'm just not. I'm not a big. Uh, I'm not a big memorabilia guy. Like for me, it's just like uh, it's it's the memory of Kobe. I don't really care about the stuff. Oh oh. Never mind. Pow. Jeff, this is totally the look you Pow. need. Pow. Pow just nailed it. Okay, I do want I do that want the outfits proud. from the what is what what ma- magazine cover Vanity was it? Fair? Was it the Vanity I Fair? Vanity. I think so. I believe okay, so. Okay, yeah, no. I, I I stay corrected. I want that hat more than I want anything <laughs> in the world. I desperately want it and I want the eyeliner that he's using also. And the durag that he has underneath. I don't know what is it underneath. I, I, that's a headband. I, uh, that's a basketball headband underneath. Wow. Okay. Yes, I want a headband and a white hat, and I'm gonna start wearing it. 
That's oh wow! You could tell by the texture. That that's is a, a headband. Oh that's a headband. I did not know that till right now. Wow! Learn learn something new every day. There you go, Jeanette. If you have any, if you have any final questions before we no, wrap I, I don't. Um, you know when I kind of came up with this idea, whenever it was that I came up with it, I had no idea what to expect. The conversation. Uh, that we were going to have the stories that everybody would share. So I really do appreciate uh, you guys giving us your time, your honesty, your vulnerability to speak to someone that means a great deal to, to the, to all of us, to, to us here and to the people that are listening, hopefully. And uh, just repeating that you guys have been incredibly fantastic to me when it comes to the, this topic of Kobe and dealing with his loss and the milestones that have, you know, come over the past almost two years now. So thank you. And how you wonderful son of a bitch, stop doing that. Stop, <laughs> stop distracting me when I'm trying to be thoughtful. Uh, God. For for our listeners, Pow was trying to put that picture of Kobe in the white hat as a background and failed miserably. I can't get it to line up at all. Like no no picture that I use whatsoever is like working on the background. And I'm like looking at it in the thing, but I'm thinking it's showing me a preview of what it's gonna look like, not remembering that it's showing you guys what I'm doing. So I'm like, okay, well. If I click on the microphone, will it superimpose them there? Will it work there? Because this thing's giving me like an option to like layer on things. So uh-huh. I'm sorry for for doing that during your super thoughtful moment, but I I, I really appreciate you guys giving us you know the space to be vulnerable. Sorry. Yeah. And, and you, Jeff, is there anything you want to close, final uh, finalize before we close out this episode? No, it's just a uh, well. I'll say it like Jeanette mentioned earlier. It is. Um, it's nice enough to be the only one that feels this way about this shit. You know. It's nice to let's, have friends. Let's put that on a Hallmark <laughs> card. <laughs> oh, Jeff, does that mean we're friends? No, not you. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, Jose. That was me. <laughs> All right, we're friends, Jose. Well, we're let me, fr- let me, we're friends, Before we close Jose. out this episode, before we close out this episode, I was disappointed in Ooh. Jeff this week. Oh, there this was week? A picture, Jeff posted a picture of him as a young lad on a boat. Or oh, yeah, that was a, a, sail, a sailboat. sailboat, yes. To say to show a picture of him being a young kid, you know. It was like the random picture of you from the mid '90s thing. But that's not the picture you should have posted. You should have posted picture of Jeff as a model for a Jeep, a toy Jeep. Okay, that's not actually me. Everybody thinks it's me. It's not me. Damn it! I, I I really wanted that you to post that to continue the gag of that people know of Jeep <laughs> and that would have just that's one of the reasons why I missed the group because oftentimes you would post that about Aaron <laughs> but I love I love uh, sometimes when you would just flash that image in general that's funny shit but <laughs> but on my behalf I want to thank you all for your being very vulnerable with this and being able to talk about this. I wanted to, I've been wanting to have this conversation with you all ever since you then brought it up. Cause I know it's not oftentimes we can reflect on the life of an athlete and be, and talk about how it impacted us or in any ways. And I just love the fact that we, you know, 
hopefully we can have this and uh, more discussions of this type of caliber in another time. But um, I definitely thank you, Jeff, for your time. Chris, it's been not only is it nice to meet you, but I'm glad to be able to have this conversation with you. Jeanette, you know, you're my partner in this. So um, the love goes all, go, goes all around. So I just want to tell you, I'm, um, thank you all. So I'm Jose in New York. She's Jeanette in LA. He is Chris in LA and so is Jeff. And thank you all for listening to Talking Gays in this epi wonderful episode about Kobe and remembering Kobe. Mm -hmm.